Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. I featured Fess Watley in the first episode of Season 2 of the Alabama Short Stories podcast. Watley taught printing at Birmingham's Industrial High School, what we now know as A.H. Parker High School. He was also a band director at the school. He was a strict and demanding band leader, and he required all his musicians to be able to read music fluently. Because of this, his music program became one of the best in the region, and he was widely recognized as a leading music educator. Fess Watley would train musicians that would populate some of the biggest bands led by leaders such as Duke Ellington, Lucky Millinder, Louis Armstrong, Skitch Henderson, Lionel Hampton, Fletch Henderson, Billie Holiday, and Bessie Smith. A few of Watley's most famous students were Erskine Hawkins of Tuxedo Junction fame, bassist Cleve Eaton, and Herman Blunt, known worldwide as Sun Ra. Watley didn't just appear out of nowhere. While doing my research for this episode, one name kept coming up over and over, Carrie Tuggle. She and her husband John Tuggle played an important role in Watley's life, so much so that he changed his name to honor John Tuggle. Born John Lewis Watley, he became John Tuggle Watley. The nickname Fess was short for Professor. Carrie Tuggle would play a part in many children's lives over the years, and this is her story. Carrie Tuggle was born into slavery on May 28, 1858 in Eufaula, Alabama, the daughter of Warren and Charity Griggs. Multiple sources suggest her father was a Native American. She was taught to read and write at an early age and was skilled at needlework. She attended school, and sources suggest that she was singled out for private instruction by teachers. She would marry John Tuggle of Columbus, Georgia in 1875, and they would settle in Montgomery, Alabama. John was a post office porter, while Carrie kept house and was a skilled tailor, making clothes for politicians and the governor. They would have four children. In search of better opportunities in social life, the Tuggles would move to Birmingham in 1883 and settle in Enon Ridge. Enon Ridge is part of the Smithfield community, just north of the Dynamite Hill neighborhood I discussed in Season 4, Episode 8 story called Bombingham. It's also directly north of Malfunction Junction and west of I-65. Enon Ridge was a middle-to-upper-middle-class black community. In the April 15, 1984 issue of the Birmingham News, attorney J. Mason Davis was quoted as saying about his community, Enon Ridge was to the black community what Highland Avenue was to the white community and just as important in the development of Birmingham. By 1900, Carrie and John had been fully entrenched in Birmingham. John was working as a post office porter and was serving as state head of the Colored Knights of Pythias, and Carrie was a member of the Court of Calanth. The Knights of Pythias is one of the oldest fraternal organizations or secret societies in the United States. The Court of Calanth is the women's auxiliary. As a member of the Court of Calanth, Tuggle was the Grand Worthy Counselor the Alabama State President, until 1899, and in 1901 she was appointed the Society's Supreme Worthy Counselor, the National President. Carrie Tuggle's involvement in the community continued to rise as she founded the African-American newspaper The Birmingham Truth in 1902. As if she didn't have enough to do, Tuggle worked as a social worker. Her interest and concern were with delinquent African-American boys. You see, during this time in Alabama's history, Delinquent children were tried in the same court as adults. Being tried in adult court wasn't fair to these children, and Tuggle worked towards a solution. 
Let me remind you of what was happening in Alabama at the turn of the century. The Civil War had ended 35 years earlier, and the slaves were given their freedom. Reconstruction was instituted to bring the former Confederate states back into the United States. Congress passed the Constitution's 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments to give blacks the same civil rights as whites. The state of Alabama elected the first African-American men to the state legislature. As the 1800s came to a close, state legislatures started enacting Jim Crow laws, disenfranchising blacks and many poor whites. Alabama went one step further and adopted the Constitution of the State of Alabama in 1901. The president of the convention, John B. Knox, stated this Constitution's reason in his inaugural speech when he said, within the limits imposed by the federal Constitution, to establish white supremacy in this state. With the new Constitution, Jim Crow laws were rigidly enforced. It not only kept African Americans out of the voting booth, but it also affected their children, who were the most vulnerable. As a social worker, Tuggle had first-hand knowledge of this. She would often attend court proceedings with the juveniles she had been counseling. One day in Judge Fagan's courtroom, the judge was prepared to sentence one young boy to 10 days in jail, adult jail. In his opinion, they were too young for prison, but too guilty to be set free. It was just too much for Tuggle to bear. She asked the judge to pardon the boy and that she would take him under her care and help reform him. This act inspired Tuggle to help create the Jefferson County Juvenile and Domestic Court, also known as Family Court. She also started the Tuggle Institute. After leaving court that day, she spent the summer raising money, looking for support, and building a home large enough to bring more children into. By the end of the summer, enough money had been raised to erect a frame building with a dirt floor. On September 3, 1903, the Tuggle Institute opened in Enon Ridge. The Tuggle Institute was established to provide a home and education for impoverished local children and youth in the court system. During Jim Crow, the Institute became an important part of the African-American community. The initial support of the Institute was from middle and working-class African-American communities. It also came from the Court of Calanth, Colored Knights of Pythias, and Ladies and Knights of Honor of Alabama, the organizations that John and Carrie Tuggle had been members of. The Tuggle Institute had an all-black staff, and they would regularly feature lecturers who were born into slavery as well as regular working-class men and women. Teachers hoped these lecturers would inspire the children of the Tuggle Institute to remain in Birmingham, aspire to greatness, and become leaders in the community. Carrie Tuggle adopted Booker T. Washington's industrial education philosophy, emphasizing skill trades and business. The students were taught vocational skills, industrial education, clerical work, and music education. Washington would visit Tuggle often as one of the guest lecturers. The Institute was meant to house youth from the court system and orphans, but neighborhood children were also sent to Tuggle. This mix of the haves and the have-nots made for an interesting dynamic. Local parents wanted the Birmingham school system to build a school for black children in their neighborhood so their children didn't have to attend school with criminals. One of the most prestigious graduates of the Tuggle Institute was Arthur George Gaston, better known as A.G. Gaston. If you don't know the name, this entrepreneur and millionaire from Birmingham founded quite a few businesses, including the Booker T. Washington Life Insurance Company, the A.G. Gaston Construction Company, Smith & Gaston Funeral Homes, and CFS Bank Shares. Looking back on his time at Tuggle and the tension with the middle-class students, he said, I can recall those kids kind of looked down on Tuggle because we had some kids out there that came from the juvenile court. 
Therefore, the students of Tuggle were not accepted in the elite families. We came from very poor people. Fess Watley, who I started our story with, came to Tuggle because his mother was a trustee. Living in rural Tuscaloosa County, she sent Watley and his brother to school at Tuggle where they could receive a better education. Trumpeter Sam High C. Foster had been hired to start a band program at Tuggle, a first for African-American students in the area. Foster's music program offered an opportunity to learn formal music training and other studies. Wiley learned not only a trade at the school, but how to read music. Foster profoundly impacted him and the direction his life would go in. He became such a good musician that when Watley graduated in 1913, he replaced Foster as band director. He held the position for four years until he was hired to teach printmaking at Birmingham's Industrial High School in 1917. Money was raised from the black fraternal organizations in the local community, but Tuggle would also need to solicit the white community. Philanthropist Louis Bizitz, A.B. Loveman, and Minister James' brother Brian were early supporters of the Institute. The Alabama Child Labor Committee was a big supporter of the Tuggle Institute as well. The committee was created to establish national child labor reform and frequently drew criticism from area textile mills that depended on child labor. One of the members of the committee was Hugo Black, at the time a successful labor law and personal injury lawyer in Birmingham. Black would become a U.S. Senator from Alabama and then an Associate Justice of the Supreme Court. It was after his appointment that it came to light that he had been a member of the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s. Carrie Tuggle would speak to any group, black or white, as she raised money for the Tuggle Institute. In one newspaper article, she promised to turn out servants to cook, clean, wash, and anything else a person could do. I promise you that I will do that. Just give me a chance. She said what the white community wanted to hear so they would contribute to her cause. The articles written about Carrie Tuggle and the Institute are hard to read. It's an odd mixture of support for her cause and looking down on her, her students, and her race. I can only imagine how hard it must have been to speak to white organizations as she promised servants to their community, but knowing that she was preparing her students to be leaders in the black community instead. In 1919, the Tuggle Institute burned down. It was suspected that arson was the cause. They moved to a nearby church to continue educating the children while the school was rebuilt. The Tuggle Institute was initially meant to house children from juvenile court Adding the school meant adding additional buildings, and by 1935, there were 13 buildings on the compound. The stress of running the school weighed on Carrie Tuggle. Her husband John had died in 1909, and she was left to run the school and raise their four children. Her health deteriorated, and she was bedridden during the last six months of her life. She died on November 5, 1924. Carrie Tuggle was 65 years old. Tributes poured in, and the Birmingham News called her the female Booker T. Washington. Two years after her death, the Tuggle Institute became affiliated with the Birmingham City Schools. The Institute closed briefly during the Depression, but in 1934, the school board approved purchasing the school and property and renamed it Enon Ridge School. That was short-lived as the school was renamed Carrie A. Tuggle Elementary School two years later. The resolution authorizing the name change stated that during her life, Carrie A. Tuggle gave unselfishly of her services for the uplifting of her race through the education of its youth. Tuggle Elementary School is still located on the property where Carrie and John Tuggle opened the Tuggle Institute, and Carrie Tuggle is buried on the grounds of the school. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alabama Short Stories Podcast. You can continue to support the show by rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you haven't subscribed, do it so you don't miss an episode. You can also support the show by purchasing the companion book, Alabama Short Stories Volume 1, featuring the first three seasons of the podcast. You can purchase it at Amazon.com, Bookshop.org, and other online bookstores. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on Alabama Short Stories.